You might see the title this morning is called, uh, You Aren't the Boss of Me. I get in trouble every time I teach these next two teachings. In fact, I, there was one time when uh, someone left the church over these two teachings. There was a problem in the church in Corinth. Many problems in the church in Corinth. And as we've been seeing, the Apostle Paul is addressing some of those issues, some of the problems that are going on in the church. And as we've said before, we give our heart to Jesus, but sometimes it takes a while to get some of that stuff out of our lives. And sometimes we try to bring those into our walk with the Lord, but that doesn't work. He doesn't want any God's to take place of himself. So um, the church in, in Corinth is going through those kinds of issues, dealing with issues that they've kind of brought in that are being reported to cause trouble, some of them fairly serious, some of them, uh, they're all serious really when we're not following the Lord or if it's keeping us from the Lord. So Paul's been addressing those things one at a time. And if you have, um, some of your Bibles might be talking about, mine right at the top there of chapter 11 talks about the veiling of women, right? But that's not really the issue. That's just a, a side effect of what's really going on there. There's a lot of chaos in the church. There's a lot of chaos happening at any given service that they might have instead of there being order because God is a God of order. um, It it was kind of chaotic. And so Paul is addressing some of those things. Now, none of us like bosses, right? We like coaches, but we don't like bosses. Well, what's the difference between a coach and a boss? Jesus was in the trenches with the guys. He was out there living the same, doing the same thing. He was there for them to be able to imitate, for them to be able to hear. A boss, whether you're a boss or you've been under a boss, which I'm sure you have at one time or another, sometimes a boss is not really in the trenches with you. The boss is just the guy that's in the office above yours or higher up than you are and some of them are good bosses but some of them a lot of them are not very good bosses and I don't know about you guys but if someone comes in and tells me I have to do something there's just something in this Missouri blood that just kind of boils and it's like you could have said that a little bit nicer right a little a little different than that and uh, we see that character in Jesus We see that compassion, we see that love, we see that um, emotion, if you will, that goes into us in training of the 12 and then the word training us. But we uh, effectively really don't like bosses much. It's like the guy at his boss's funeral kneeling and whispering in the coffin. Who's thinking outside the box now, Gary? I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that to interfere or hurt anybody. But uh, you get the idea. You get the idea. We don't traditionally like bosses. 
Now, we're going to be talking about a man's role in his family and in the church, etc., etc. Can't get it all in this week, so next week I'll be dealing with the lady's role. But in your home, who is more like a boss and who is more like a coach? Just let that sink in a little bit. Sometimes we, as men, we act more like the boss rather than the coach. And then we expect there to be a favorable outcome and uh, quite often uh, we don't get that favorable outcome. All right, let me go back and give a little bit of what we've been going through. We talked about liberty. Paul has talked about liberty. But we've got to be careful with that liberty and freedom that we have in Jesus Christ and not use that to hurt anyone. We've talked about it. it may be profitable. It may be lawful, but it may not be profitable. There may be some things that we feel are okay for us to do, but we've got to be, we need to be as Christians. The world doesn't care what anybody else thinks. They do whatever they want and say, hey, it's up to you. you, if, you you're true pro- if you're offended by this, that's your problem. But as Christians, if we have another brother or sister that's offended by something that we do, we could at least have the courtesy to maybe not do that, right? And uh, there are some social things that we could throw into that. But mostly is loving somebody and loving people enough that I could give up or temporarily give up something that I'm doing in order not to hurt somebody else. Luke 12, 8 says, from, for, excuse me, from everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And to whom they entrusted much of him, they will ask all the more. Now, you remember Paul, they're giving him a hard time. They're saying, you're not really a, an apostle. You shouldn't be doing this. And, and he says, I am. If, if for no one else, I'm at least your apostle because I gave birth to you. I came here and preached the gospel. You guys have all had come to know Jesus. So if for nobody else, which he, he did have, and he had liberties, he had freedoms, but he made it very, very clear to them that he would give up all of those freedoms to show them love, to show them concern. And he goes through a list of those things. But tomorrow we're talking, excuse me, tomorrow we're talking, today we're talking about, uh, getting ahead of myself, today we're talking about the uh, role that we play, they played in public worship. And a lot of those are transferable. I'm sure you've all been to some churches, and I would, I would say, there are brothers and sisters, but maybe there's so much chaos going on, you can't even hear the word. You, you, you can't understand the word. And then if that's the case, you go away without having a deeper knowledge of the word. And so it was, that's kind of what was going on in their services. It was, it was a bit of chaos that they were having to deal with there. So let's pray and we'll begin. Father, thank you so much for your love and your concern for us. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lord, it seems with every generation, there's a, at least a part of them that wants to find some new revelation, some new way 
of worship, some new way of teaching, some new way of interpreting what you've written. We thank you that you have given us your word, that we have that to go by. When everything else may be falling apart around us or falling apart in the world, we still have you. We know that you love us. We know that you're still on the throne. We don't know your timetable exactly. But if we're reading the signs, <laughs> you, should, you might be coming back pretty soon for all of us. So, Father, help us to enjoy each other's fellowship. Help us to enjoy the word that you've given to us, the worship that we have. And, Father, may you teach us. May you allow us to be able to grow in you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Look at chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. I don't want anybody imitating me. How about you? Because we're not perfect. We make mistakes. But Paul is saying, in your worship, in your fellowship, what's going on? You've seen me. You've watched me walk. It's okay to imitate someone if they are imitating Jesus. But not to just imitate everything and anything. And I think that goes and applies to us today. We've got to be careful about imitating what we see on social media. Because in a lot of cases, one person posts one thing, doesn't even look it up to see if it's true, but it just sounds good, fits into my, my narrative, right? And then we take and we repost that and it's reposted and it gets reposted and it gets reposted and it's out there. And uh, we've got to be careful of that, especially as Christians. And we've, I've made that mistake before. I've made that mistake before. And I think that we're all susceptible to making those mistakes. So we have to be careful of that. To imitate me. Paul says, imitate me just as I imitate who? It's okay to imitate someone who's imitating Jesus Christ. And that's, that's a big thing for Paul to say. But I don't know about you guys, but you may have been a Christian for 20 or 30 years and you probably wouldn't want to say that. So that is a huge thing for, Paul, for the Apostle Paul to say. Imitate me as I imitate Jesus Christ. But when you start seeing something that's not an imitation of Jesus Christ, stop. Rethink that. Because you can have things out there that are 80% true, 90% true, 10% wrong. They could be 99% true and 1% wrong. And you guys have heard me use this this story or this analogy before and that's that if if you went in to uh, a restaurant and you were going to get some food and the waitress came out after they had made it and put it on your plate and they said you know I'm pretty sure that this is safe (laughs) but we had some rat poison up above above where they cook and there is a one percent chance just one it's just a one percent chance that some of them might have got, some of it might have got in your food. Are you going to go, no problem, man. 1%, bring it on. I don't know of anybody that would do that. We would be saying, sorry, I'm going to another restaurant. Not just make me another one, but I'm going to another restaurant where they don't store the rat poison above the food. Now that might seem a little overboard, But the enemy has been trying to confuse 
and destroy and he will lie and he's been doing that from the beginning. So we need to not only be hearers of the word of God, we need to be doers of the word of God and we need to be students of the word of God so we can pick out a truth from an error. Okay, so he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things. In your teens or maybe early 20s, traditions really. In fact, in a lot of cases, you want to get rid of. You know, those are just old. Those are old traditions. We're going to do it a new way. We're, we're, going to, we're going to make it happen in our way. Don't get me wrong. Fresh ideas are amazing as long as they are 100% based in the Word of God. Not even 1% off. This is about the only thing I know of, guys, you can count on. You can't count on anything else. You can't count on people, even though they're good people. You have to be able to count on Jesus Christ. You see, if you count on any one person to be your savior, you're going to miss the boat. You're going to put them in a position they cannot fulfill, and eventually you're going to lose your faith and hope in them. It has to be in Jesus and Jesus alone. Now, here he goes, right? I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Now, right now, there's maybe a few going, I ain't, gonna, ain't no man going to be head of me. I ain't listening to nobody. We're that way sometimes with our bosses at work, right? Or our foreman or our supervisor or whatever. Ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. Well, then you need to get out of the workforce and go into business for yourself because there's always going to be someone who has authority over us. And that's the point. That's the point. The Apostle Paul is going to point us all the way up. Not, not, it's not just a man, it's not just a woman. It's about being submitted to the will of God. Being able to see God in our circumstances. Being able to act as a Christian. Being able to be the man or the woman that God wants us to be. So the understanding of this, this whole section is about understanding the word head as it is used right here. It's a Greek word, I won't give it to you because you probably won't remember it. I probably won't remember it either. But here's what it means. It means authority or government. Authority or government. Well, you're going, well, that isn't any better. That means a man has authority over the woman. He's the, he's the government of the woman. Guys, when I say that, look at Jesus, not your spouse. That's where the real authority comes from. If a man is being the kind of man that he needs to be, he's going to be kind, he's going to be gentle, he's going to be loving. He's going to speak the truth. He's going to value his spouse. So don't get caught up on the third or fourth one down. 
get caught up on the one that's at the top. And that is Jesus Christ. He's talking about that godly authority, that godly government. Every man should be running his life under the government of Jesus Christ, under the word of God. That should be everything that drives him. Likewise, the woman. Likewise, us trying to pass that on even to our children. But it all goes back to the Lord. But we live in a fallen world. In Matthew 21, 42, Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures that the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Chief cornerstone, what, how does that apply to any of us today? We don't build things with cornerstones much anymore. But that was the cornerstone that needed to be flat, needed to be plumb, needed to be level because everything that was built upon that would be wrong if that wasn't right. Who's our chief cornerstone? Jesus Christ. If a man and or a woman is following Jesus Christ, it won't always be easy, but there's always an answer because it's always in the Word of God. And sometimes the word of God runs up against our stubbornness. Runs up against our pride and our ego. But that's not a bad thing. I'm not saying it's comfortable, but it's not a bad thing. Mark 15, 17 says, And they clothed him with purple, and they twisted a crown of thorns on his head, a crown of thorns, and they put it on his head. Interesting. Upon his head. I believe this is a little bit of a symbolism, if you will, here. Who is the head of Christ? Satan taking another shot. Trying to defeat what God is trying to give. That salvation. Put a mockery there as to the head of God and the beating the mockery that was going on it was all rejection of God himself folks I am convinced after a lot of years of marriage I am convinced that if both people are doing the best they can to follow Jesus Christ it's going to be an awesome marriage not without issues from time to time but it's going to be a workable marriage it's going to be one that you can turn back on and say this has been awesome it's been a difficult journey sometimes because of life but I wouldn't trade it I wouldn't trade it where it breaks down is when one or the other or both decide they don't longer want to follow God's will Pastor, what do you mean by that? How do you react when someone cuts you off on the freeway? (laughs) Some of you do well. Some of you want to chase them down and hit them. That was a mild word that I chose there. You want to chase them down for cutting you off. 
You have a choice at that moment. People say, well, he made me mad. Well, that's no excuse. That's no excuse, not for a Christian. Aren't we supposed to be controlled by the Holy Spirit? Can't we take a breath and make a choice? Aren't we kind of all a sum total of all the choices that we've made throughout our entire life? Can't we choose to be kind instead of mean? In the negative sense of authority and government, Genesis 3.15 gives us even more clarity. In Genesis 3.15 it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between her seed and uh, your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, prophetically, prophetically, He's talking about this war between God and Satan. So head means something else here, much more than what we think it does. Oh yeah, he's just the guy that calls all the shot. He's just the boss. Well, no, hopefully, hopefully he's more of a coach. Hopefully he's more of a, of a friend. But in case we don't get that, look at this one. In Romans 12, 20, if your enemy is hungry, <laughs> what do you do? Feed him. How many husbands went to bed without dinner because the wife was mad at him? How many wives went to bed without dinner because the husband's the cook and he was mad? If your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. I ain't getting you no drink. Your arms ain't painted on. Get it and get it yourself. That, that, that has no sexual orientation. <laughs> a man or a woman can say that to their spouse. It says, for in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now you're going, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. But that doesn't mean what you think it means. From everything I can understand, back then, a lot of people didn't have individual fires. Well, they did have individual fires, but there was a community fire in the center of town in many of the villages. It was a community fire. And so if you wanted to fire in your home, you would go to the center of town and you would take a dish of some kind and you would put those coals in that dish and you would carry it home. And in a lot of cases, it was uh, something that would rest above them. So if that is true, and if that is true, that means you're actually blessing someone by heaping the coals upon their head. It means you're doing something nice for them. And keep in mind that God levels everything out. If your husband's doing something wrong, if your wife is doing something wrong, I think it's perfectly fine to sit down in an orderly manner and discuss it. But you've got to know and understand God levels everything out. It's just like what we see today. We see a lot of evil. But Greg and I were talking before the service. God's going to take care of that. They don't answer to me, don't answer to him, they don't answer to any of us, but they will answer to God. And so we have to trust that God will work on our spouse. 
All right. So the head means much more than we think that it means. It doesn't mean the head, the honcho. It incorporates, incorporates, if you will, or encompasses all the Lord's chain of command. Now, it might surprise you that God's world is, is an, it's in order. It's, just not, it's not just chaotic. It's in order. And I've used this illustration many times, too. It's kind of like the military. They have a chain in command. Right? A private... What happens if uh, what happens if a five-star general walks in the room? Everybody stands and they salute the man. That private might have a higher EQ than the general. He may be a smarter guy than the general, but he still shows respect. He still shows honor for the office. Not the man necessarily, but for the office. So God has this chain of command, if you will. The, the world is in order. It's not in chaos. All right, look at verse four. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors the head. Now, like many, many things in the word of God, people take things and through the years, they change it. Or they, they interpret it wrong. Or they believe that it's, it's uh, maybe something that it's not. Now, I want, you to, I want you to ask yourself an honest question. Do you really think that God, being God, taking care of all that he takes care of, cares about whether you wear a hat or not? What, does, what is he concerned about? Dishonoring the head. Dishonoring God. Now, there will be traditions that will continue on. There will be things that are right and things that are wrong. Things that people do in society. I was just looking the other day at how some of the, uh, I think it was in Japan, but some of the ladies wanted small feet, right? And I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of that, but the bro- they break almost all of the bones in the, in the feet other than the big toe. And it, it, they bend it around by wrapping it. And it's, it's pretty weird looking when it's all done, but they have little tiny feet because of that. And you have different tribes that will put in, you know, the, the saucers or the rings in the ears or the lips or whatever. The traditions will always go but we're talking about keeping the main thing the main thing. That's ultimately what the Apostle Paul is talking about. And the talith that he's talking about for the men, it was actually a misinterpretation of their own scriptures. Because with Moses, Moses, you know, the veil and the whole thing, he didn't wear the veil out of reverence. You guys remember why he wore the veil? Because it was fading. Remember God bleached him? <laughs> when he saw God or saw the back end of the Lord, the Lord's going one way and he caught a glimpse and he, he just, he turned white. Whiter than me. And he turned really white. Like your white shirts or the jerseys you got on or whatever. White. But that was, he was proud to wear that because I've seen God. I've been in the presence of God. But when it began to fade, what did he do? He wore the veil. 
Because he didn't want people seeing that it was fading. In first, excuse me, Second Corinthians three thirteen and fourteen, it says, "Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away, but their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in." Christ now it says he didn't want him to see what was passing away guys we see it all the time isn't that what cosmetic surgery is all about it's fading away it's fading away it doesn't matter how amazing you think you are when you're in your 20s you're going to be 50 one day and you cannot retain it. And then you're going to be 60. And then you're going to be 70. And then you're going to be 80. And your body can't keep up with it all. But these starlets, you see this happen a lot, they make their income on how they look. So if that begins to fade or droop a little, they go in and get it taken care of. They get the surgery taken care of. So that it's not fading away. That's kind of what Moses did he didn't want them to see that it was fading away but he's saying here that the, for the Jewish man to pray with his head covered was in reality dishonoring God that's what he's saying he's dishonoring his authority and he's dishonoring his government in Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And in verse 7, Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Forget the veil. Forget the yarmulke. Now, I know I, I don't want to offend if you're Jewish descent. I don't, I'm not trying to offend. But that's not what shows reverence. That's, what, that's not what shows love. That's not what shows God. If you love me, what does it say? If you love me, you will what? Keep my commandments. You go, but I can't. No, but Jesus can. Say, well, no matter how much I try, I'm going to mess it up once in a while. That's exactly why you and I need a Savior, because Jesus stands in our place. That doesn't mean we throw caution to the wind. We do the best that we can. As Keith Green said, you do your best and pray that it's blessed and let Jesus take care of the rest. That's the best news that we've got. But it's not in what we wear. It's not whether a person kneels or lays down to worship. Or whether we take our shoes off or leave them on. It's up to that individual. If that is an act of worship, then that is received. But it's not just in the performance of the thing. 
If it's just in the performance of the thing, it means nothing. But if the thing is a result of our connection with God, we want to honor him, that's, a, that's an incredible thing, right? Wasn't it instructed, take your shoes off or where you stand is holy ground? Please don't take your shoes off. <laughs> but you get the idea, right? It's a matter of the heart. Look at verse 7. For a man ought not to have his head covered since he is the image and the glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. There we go again. We've already established that Jesus Christ is the head of the man. So this verse could read like this. A man should not wear anything nor act in any manner that would keep his life from reflecting that it is truly under the authority and government of Jesus Christ. To me, this is more of an admonishment or encouragement to the man than it is the woman. Guys, get your act together. Because Jesus was and is the image and the glory of God. You go into John, and you go into 1 John, especially in the book of John, you see that all things were created by him and for him and through him. And that Jesus is the word of God. And that word means logos, and you guys have heard me talk about that hundreds of times, hopefully. When you have a logo printed, it's supposed to express your company. Right? You do the best you can. Many people hire companies to come up with a logo for their company. You guys probably remember the logo to Facebook. The logo to Twitter. The logo to Instagram. The logo for Coca-Cola. When you see them, you know immediately what that is. You know what's behind that. So when he says he was the logos of God, Jesus is the expression of the Father. You say, but I've never seen God. If you've seen Jesus, you have. Because Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And no one gets to the Father except through me. So a Christian, male or female, married or not married, should never act in a way that would misrepresent or dishonor the Lord, especially in his leadership role with his family and his wife. Now we're going to. We're going we're gonna to blow it. We're going to mess it up. Wives, you're going to mess it up. Kids, you're going to mess it up. But there's nothing like an I'm sorry that really is meant. Learn how to say you're sorry. As smart as you might be, you may be the smartest person in the room, but you can still make mistakes. We have to be able to say, I'm sorry. I blew it. Without excuses. And then we have to ask for forgiveness. 
And hopefully that will be granted. I hope that after this service is all done, that there may be some people who, husbands and wives, maybe go home and say they're sorry. Now, I don't want to toss this word or this label around lightly. If you are a narcissist, you probably cannot say you're sorry. I've been doing a lot of reading, a lot of studying on characteristics, traits. and If you're a narcissist, you find it very, very difficult to say I'm sorry. And you know why? Because you're never wrong. That's, that's one of the traits, is that they're never wrong. And if for some reason that thought sneaks in, they go, no, it couldn't be. <laughs> it has to be someone else. But I would say that God is above and beyond titles and labels. If we take that to God, he can teach us how to say, I'm sorry, and to admit that we're wrong. If one or the other in a couple, in a relationship, even in friends, can't learn to say that I'm sorry or that I was wrong, it's going to destroy the relationship. How do you live with somebody that's perfect? How do you live with someone that's perfect? How, how can you, you can't say anything because if you do, it's a personal attack. You can't say, I, I, we need to discuss this because to them it's not a big deal. I'm just saying, we're just people. We're just dust. And we're not always right. Sometimes we make mistakes. Okay. Here's the Christian man's authority and responsibility. In verse 11 and 12, it says, However, in the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, nor man independent of woman. Boy, that would make the headlines today, wouldn't it? You can't, people don't even know what a woman is anymore. Therefore, you can conclude they don't know what a man is anymore. And some of the people who got elected... We're not sure what they are. Our society has, I'm sorry, but it's gone a little bonkers. When we, didn't, didn't we, anybody here have to take a biology class in high school, college, somewhere along the line, take a biology? Anybody here have eyes? There's a difference. There is a difference. A man cannot get pregnant. I'm sorry. He cannot get pregnant. I don't care what your viewpoints are. And society might say, um, hey, you know, society's changing. It can't change that much. (laughs) This would cause trouble. This would probably get me ejected out of a, uh, if I was speaking at some place that wasn't a church. 
Neither is woman independent of man, nor man independent of woman. And he says, why? For as the woman originates from the man, so also the man has his birth through the woman, and all things originate from... What are we going to do without women? What are we going to do without men? That is a long-term sentence to the death of a planet. Come on, guys. Or maybe I should say, come on, man. I'm sorry. The marriage in the Lord has no independence. It has no room for independence. If you're married, there is no room for independence. What do you mean? You're not independent anymore. You, made, you gave that up when you said you wanted to be married. You have no independence. Your wife should be able to ask you anything. Your wife should be able to check your phone. You should be able to check your wife's phone. And you should be able to ask her anything. You should be able to talk about absolutely anything. Inside of a marriage, you should never think, well, I don't need them. I can get by just fine without them. That's not a Christian marriage. Now, maybe some of you married before you gave your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe your spouse is not a Christian. And you've got a hard job ahead of you. But remember, it's a decision that you made. And I'm not going to tell you what to do because the Word of God has it all for you. It's all there. It's not just an arrangement, guys. This is just an arrangement we have until I don't like you anymore. Until you get old. And I need to trade you in for something new. It's a marriage, it's a covenant. It's an agreement. It's a promise. And as Christians, God takes a promise that we make pretty seriously. Likewise, in a marriage, if either spouse thinks they are superior to the other one, it's not a Christian marriage. Pastor, what do you mean by that? I'm a whole lot smarter than he is. (laughs) Maybe. But the fact that you even think that way means that your humility that should be there in Jesus Christ is gone. You're co-heirs of the promises of God. Now, I hope that for those of you that may be looking for a spouse, you remember this, you keep this in mind. Looks fade, a relationship with Jesus can be there for an eternity. That really needs to be there. So, Paul's saying without women there'd be no men. Without men there'd be no women. Without the Lord there would be neither one. And should a man think that he's superior because he was just born male? Come on. That's ridiculous, right? It's ridiculous. Same with a woman. She shouldn't think she's superior because she was born female. 
Because in reality, if either one looks down on the other one, they're really looking down on the creator of both of them. Genesis 1.27 said, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. Is it any wonder we try to get rid of the Bible? Is it any wonder that the world wants to rewrite the Bible? Because it's offensive now. It's supposed to be. It is supposed to be. It's supposed to offend my sin. It's supposed to offend my pride and my ego. It's supposed to do that so that I wake up and realize just because I think something's true doesn't mean it is. Just because I want to believe that something is true doesn't mean that it is. The only thing I can count on is Jesus Christ. Here's some of the ways that Jesus fulfilled his role. Philippians 2 verses 5 through 8 says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient to the point of death, even to the death of the cross. Jesus was God. Jesus is God. Part of the Holy Trinity. But he put it all down. Every man has probably made this mistake, but a Christian man should never say to his wife, I'm the head of this family. You need to listen to me, and that's what the Bible says. That should never be said. And every man's probably said it. I don't see that in Jesus. You guys are going to listen to what I say, or I'm going to bring down hell from, hellfire from heaven, and it, I'm going to fry you guys. You need to listen to what I say because of Jesus Christ. I don't see that anywhere, do you? I know this is tough. And you know why? Because most of us husbands have failed. Most of us husbands have, have not done consistently the things that the Lord would have us do. You see, it wasn't competitive and it wasn't robbery for Jesus to say that he and the Father were one because they were. But he gave all that up. You see, that's the true mark of love and humility and that's I may have the right, but I don't do it because I don't want to hurt you. Isn't it back to what Paul's been saying all along? You know, it may be lawful, but it doesn't mean it's profitable. Have you ever said something come out of your mouth and you're going, boy, that wasn't profitable? That was just like throwing gasoline on the fire. That, I would have been better to just keep my mouth shut. Ephesians 5, verse 25 through 27 tells us that the Lord loves his bride, the church. And he sacrificed his own life for it. And now he sees the church as spotless and without blemish. What does that mean? Pastor, why are you doing that? Well, here's the thing. 
Our wives are not perfect. And neither are we. But you can cleanse that by believing the best in her. By loving her the way God would love her. You see, it's a choice. We can either let the things go or we can just let them stick. And then they'll keep coming up. Month after month after month after year after year after year. To the point to where it just just destroys everything. Now, what does that mean? Jesus gave his life for the church. Was the church perfect? No. Is the church perfect now? No. But he gave his life as a sacrifice to pure her. Now he views her, the church, as spotless. Wow. Men, when was the last time you told your wife she's beautiful? No matter what. When the hair's not done, the makeup's not done, the old uh, PJs are still on or the sweatsuit's on, and just told her that she's beautiful. That you still love her. And you love her like you loved her when you got married, and you always will. Boy, that goes a long way, doesn't it? Works the other way too, ladies. We need to be able to give our lives for our mate. And we all fall short of that. That's what a husband does. Now, do you really want the role as a husband? (laughs) Do you really want the role of the man? Do you really think the man really has superiority over you? No. No. All right, I'm going to close it with this. 1 Corinthians 11.3, the head of every man is Jesus Christ. And he should be for all of us. Even when we're friends, even when we're buddies or whatever, ultimately, you know, you're going to run into something you don't agree with, but we still need to act like Christians. Today, nobody will let anybody ever have an opposing opinion Sometimes you just let them go. Don't let them, don't let them stick. So, guys, what's my assignment? <laughs> go home and ask your wife for forgiveness if you need to. And maybe for lording it over her with an ungodly attitude. But ladies, that doesn't let you off the hook either. If you're being mean, being irritable, you're being not understanding... If you're snapping, maybe there needs to be a little forgiveness back and forth. Men, ask your wife to pray for you.